Thanks, guys. Um, yeah, so we've been looking a little bit about uh, serving in the church and things like that. Uh, over the last few weeks, we've had a worshipful servant. Matt talked about unity last week, the importance of that. Well, that wasn't directly related to, to serving and, and uh, what that requires from us, what God requires from us. I've been so challenged as I've been looking up stuff myself about serving. You know, there's a, there's a parable that I looked at that was about the servants going out in the field. They work hard all day. They get home and, and then uh, the master says, make my dinner. And they're like, but we, we've been working hard all day. And he said, no, that's your job. You should not expect um, anything more than that because you actually are servants. And that challenged my heart in the terms of, you know, like, do I expect a reward? Now, understanding this, that God is a good father, he's an amazing master of us, um, that he says he rewards us when we serve well, there's no doubt about that. But how that attitude can sometimes creep into us, that entitlement attitude. And I think that's what, what was being really... Uh, sort of uh, address there, you know, am I, am I an entitled person? Do I think that if I serve, I deserve something? Where, as Christians, we are actually called into service of the King of Kings. And it's, it's what's expected. He expects this of us. Like, it's not that we have a choice, you know, well, um, you know, I'm now a Christian, I can live my own life and not worry about serving God. That's absolutely not what we're to do. So that was one of my challenges. I'm not really talking about that this morning, but I thought it was worth a mention. I wanted to talk a little bit about today the, the, the heart of serving and why it's important that we serve well. Um, because, you know, often it's put on leaders, you know, that, that it's their job to make sure everything's done, that everything's in order, which is great. Uh, but there tends to be this... this uh, ability that we have to deny responsibility for anything. Uh, we, we like to make sure that we put that responsibility on other people, that you're responsible for this, you're responsible, why aren't you doing this, why aren't you doing that? And there's a couple of stories in uh, the Bible, or there's lots of stories in the Bible, but these two in particular that I wanted to talk about today, one in Exodus and one in Acts, which really talks about how that um, as people of God, we are, are not meant to be striving to be uh, in control. Certainly leaders in the church should be humble. In fact, Jesus said you should be servant of all. But I think often we take that as the leaders are the slaves of all. You know, whatever I want, you should be doing for me. And it's certainly something that happens in the Western church uh, more and more because we're influenced by the society around us, which is really very much, you know, consumerism. What can you do for me? What can I get from you? I might pay for the service, but I'm still expecting a level of service that you should be giving me because I'm paying for it and maybe sometimes we feel like that. And it's really more about how we play together as a team. Like To think that, that we've got to understand this, the church is a body. Every part must work for the body to work well, Right? If one part isn't operating, we've talked about that before, the rest of the body suffers. It's not like um, Jesus has made us separate individuals and placed us in a workplace where we have bosses and workers. It's not like that. It's a crazy thing, but the way that God works it is this, that we're all in the one body, we all have different responsibilities, but that is given to us from God 
and it can be taken away at any time. So I think about my position as pastor of this church. At any time, God could say, uh, that's not what I want you to do anymore. That's not my business. That's his business. He might say, Neil, stop pastoring. I want you to go and work somewhere. He hasn't said it to me yet. Don't be fearful. <laughs> yeah, Matt. <laughs> but what I'm saying is this, that, that we... We cannot think of the body of Christ as though we were a whole group of individuals striving to attain the top position or, or even you know, prominence in any area of our workplace or anything like that. It's different to that. But we are really a team. But this team is underneath Jesus. It's not a person's team. Although God gives certain people authority in the churches, right? That makes sense. Otherwise, it's all chaos. We just get everyone doing whatever they want. And that's sort of like what I'm talking about today a little bit. So yesterday, I went to watch rugby. And it was my daughter playing. I know, girls playing rugby. Crazy. They're wild, I tell you. They're wild. She's a monster. (laughs) (laughs) But one of the things is that team sometimes is a little bit low in numbers, right? So... They, they only meant to field 10, and sometimes they have less than 10, sometimes they have more than 10. But what can often happen is that you get people turning up to the game that haven't been to training, right? They haven't put in any effort at all, and they haven't, haven't worked out what the team is all about. So you know that old saying that a champion team beats a team of champions? They come in, and, and even if they're really good players, they're not playing to the same song sheet. No, they're not singing. They're not playing to the same game sheet where they might have moves that they've worked out at training and they say, right, when we say this move, what you've got to do is you've got to go left, you've got to cut through, whatever it might be, and there's a plan in place for the team to succeed and prosper and actually win the game. So what can happen often is that people will come in without the training, without the knowledge, without the understanding, without the heart of the team, and they'll decide, I'm just going to do what I want. Now, they might not do it on purpose, They might not go deliberately out to sabotage. They might think that they're doing the right thing, but what can happen is they don't play together. And so in the team, there's this disharmony. There's something going wrong, and what happens is that they don't win the game. That actually happens. You get a team that has a game plan, they stick to it, and I remember years ago watching the World Cup soccer on TV when I was a kid, and uh, Germany won the World Cup that year. And the criticism of this team was that they're boring. They were. (laughs) They were sort of like very heavily defensive. They didn't let people score. They scored maybe one or two goals a game. And they didn't have any superstar, amazing people that were cut above everyone else. They just played together as a team. They stuck to their plan and they won the World Cup. Now, I'd hate to say that we think the church might be a boring place and that we're always defensive and things like that. But, but the lesson of this is that God has called us together as a team. This is why it's so important. We're having a, a day next week where there's going to be a thousand jobs or, or places where you can minister in the church to serve one another. Some of them will be really simple, be like, you know, greet at the door or, you know, clean up the kids' room after church or something like that. There might be things like that on it. But there will be other things where... You might be sitting and thinking about what God are you calling me to? And this world needs Christians who are leaders. 
This world needs Christians who are prepared to write God a blank check and say, God, what do you want me to do? This world needs Christians that are not living for themselves but have given themselves over to the Spirit of God and given themselves to the service of the church and I'm not talking about a building or necessarily a place but this is the the place we worship together. This is where we do church. We are the church but we do church. And, And so it is easy to fall into the mindset, isn't it, of they're here to serve me, they're here to provide a service for me, but it's not that at all. It's we're all serving one another in this place and, and we get the opportunity to come together and actually serve one another with love to make sure that the church is strong, that it grows, that, that the kids are looked after, that, that the place is clean, it's a nice place, that we love the church. And I hate driving past a church that is neglected and derelict and everything's in a bad state and I'm like what does that say about the heart of the people they don't love that place and I'm not saying they don't love the building what I'm saying is that they don't love that place who of you has a house that you're proud of that's messy and falling apart why is it any different with our church do we want to have a church that is messy and falling apart in all areas, like in the building itself, but also in service for one another, where there's bickering and fighting and clamouring and and all those sorts of things. And I think that one of the problems is that we are looking for reasons not to do, to escape, to say, I'm too busy on this, whatever, but where is your first service meant to be? It's to God, right? In fact, that is our only service in reality. All of life is worship to him. Everything that we do is worship to God. In my workplace, it's worship to God. But, but in particular, God says to love each other, to help each other. And, and often in the Bible it says, especially those of faith, especially the brethren or, or the people of faith, that you should be loving them even better than you love the world. But we always seem to think that we have to love everyone else better than those who are our brothers and sisters. But we're not called to that. We are called to love them, of course, but we're also called to love one another even more deeply than that. We're related. Think about it in terms of government. How many times have you heard this? Oh, the government should be doing. The government should be doing that. And more and more responsibility is thrown over to them. The government needs to be looking after everyone. The government needs to do this and look after the old people, look after the young people. The government needs to teach people about sex. The government needs to teach people about finance. The government, the government, the government, the government. And more and more we're like, let's pile up everything on government to do and then when they get the power we complain that they're, they're doing too much, they're taking control, yet at the same time more and more we're expecting that from them. We're demanding something that when they take we hate. But who is the government, for example? It's people elected by the people of Australia. They're not meant to be a power. They're meant to be servants of the nation and that's the same with leaders of the church. And the two stories I want to talk about today really talk about people getting alongside those who are leading and helping them. Because I can guarantee that personally, this isn't my church. 
I haven't got this position so I can be the Lord of the manor. Like, whoop-de-doo, what a big kingdom. But that's not my heart, and I know that's not the heart of most Christian leaders. The ones who lead youth here, the ones who lead the kids' church here, whatever ministry it is, we can easily fall into the trap of you should be doing. And I want to address that at the end. So let's have a look at Exodus chapter 17, verse 8 to 16. This is a story about Israel fighting the Amalekites. The Amalekites were descendants of Esau, so we had Jacob and Esau who were brothers, and Esau was the elder. And these were the descendants of them, but they attacked the Israelites. While the people of Israel were still at Rephidim, the warriors of Amalek attacked them. Moses commanded Joshua, choose some men to go out and fight the army of Amalek for us. Tomorrow I'll stand at the top of the hill holding the staff of God in my hand. So Joshua did what Moses had commanded and fought the army of Amalek. Meanwhile, Moses, Aaron and Hur climbed up to the top of a nearby hill. As long as Moses held up the staff in his hands, the Israelites had the advantage, but whenever he dropped his hand, the Amalekites gained the advantage. Moses' arms soon became so tired he could no longer hold them up, so Aaron and Hur found a stone for him to sit on. Then they stood on each side of Moses, holding up his hands, so his hands held steady until sunset. As a result, Joshua overwhelmed the army of Amalek in battle. After the victory, the Lord instructed Moses, write this down on a scroll as a permanent reminder and read it aloud to Joshua. I will erase the memory of Amalek from under heaven. Moses built an altar there which, and named it Yahweh Nisi, which means the Lord is my banner. He said they have raised their fists against the Lord's throne, so now the Lord will be at war with Amalek generation after generation. So here we have a picture of a battle that's about to take place. Moses as a leader said, I'm going to the top of the mountain. I'm going to hold up my staff. Now most of the commentaries will say this is prayer, that that Moses was there to pray over what was happening. But it was very interesting that in this battle, it, the, the dependence of the victory in the battle depended on two things. One, it depended on Moses holding up the staff. But two, it depended on the people fighting. We could easily say that it's only just prayer, but, but within the prayer there's people out there in the battle that need that backing of prayer so that they can overcome. Moses needed help, but he didn't ask for it. It doesn't seem like he asked for it anyway. Here, who is her? He's, he sounds like he might be Moses' brother-in-law. But as a leader, Moses was in this place where he grew weary and tired. In other words, he had to hold his arms up for that battle to be won. He needed help. The only reason that battle was won was because Moses decided he couldn't Maybe he decided, maybe they just came along and said, you cannot do it all by yourself. You're going to need some people beside you that can support you in what you're doing. Let's come with you. Let's come with you and we are going to help you. We're going to hold up your arms when you get tired. Because leaders get tired. Leaders find that sometimes that they just cannot keep going. They don't have the strength themselves and they need people around them. This very morning, we prayed for some elders. Why do we do that? We all need support. We need people to help, to encourage, to strengthen and lift up. Now, I would not say that a leader is the only one who needs that. But it's so important that we remember that that there's two things here taking place. Excuse me for spitting. (laughs) One is, 
that we need people to fight a battle. But we also need those that are willing to oversee, to look out, to, to be seeking God, to be praying for everyone. Of course, we all pray for one another. You have to remember the ditches here in this, this message, right, guys? Remember that? One mile of road, two miles of ditches. We can veer off either side. But remember this, that, that it is so important that we understand that we are all taking part, that we are all doing something here. Moses was growing tired. His arms began to fail, but there were people beside him that said, let us help you. And in fact, they didn't even make him still stand up. They said, sit down. Time for a rest. Let us hold you. In the end, in, in reality, Moses is probably doing nothing in terms of holding that staff up. I'm sure he was still praying and believing for God's victory, but he was doing nothing except for holding up the staff. The second story in Acts, chapter 6, verse 1 to 7. So Acts, chapter 6, verse 1 to 7. This is about the church becoming more organised, I guess. But as the believers rapidly multiplied, there were rumblings of discontent. The Greek-speaking believers complained about the Hebrew-speaking believers, saying that their widows were being discriminated against in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve called a meeting of all the believers. They said, we apostles should spend our time teaching the word of God, not running a food programme. And so, brothers, select seven men who are well-respected and are full of the Spirit and wisdom. We will give them this responsibility. Then we, apostles, can spend our time in prayer and teaching the Word. Everyone liked this idea. And they chose the following. Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. Philip, Procurus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas of Antioch, an earlier convert to the Jewish faith. These seven were presented to the apostles who prayed for them as they laid their hands upon them. So God's message continued to spread. The number of believers greatly increased in Jerusalem and many of the Jewish priests were converted too. What are we seeing in this story? There's an unintentional conflict that had risen. How many times does that happen in a church? Unintentionally. Something's neglected, not on purpose, but it's just happening. There's a neglect of some area of ministry or of people or whatever it might be. And sometimes the first response that we have is, you need to fix this. Now, I think the apostles were very wise there. They said, hey, guys, how about you take some responsibility yourself? It wasn't like, we'll just leave you alone, but they, they put in process something that would enable the problem to get fixed. And it's a really wonderful thing that there's these other things within a church that need to be done that that people are able to step into a ministry that God has called them to or just begin to step into ministry. The thing is that God says this, that those who are faithful in little will be entrusted with much. Do you get that? If you're faithful in the little things, you'll be entrusted with much. There's a delegation of responsibility that, that, that took place here to say, hey guys, you know what the focus of us apostles should be? It should be the prayer. It should be word because God's word is spreading and it's growing. The, uh, faith is growing in people and the thing was that as they fixed this problem, guess what happened? The message of God continued to spread. 
And I'm sure there were people at that meeting that day that decided that actually you should devote more of your time leaders to those things. You should do this. Fix it. Shunning responsibility. Why do we do that? Because we know that if we actually lead anything, all of a sudden, we have to please people. I don't want to take responsibility because someone might pick on me. Someone might find fault in me, and it's much easier for me to put that on someone else and leave them there. I might fail. People might think, I'm not good. So often we do it for, what, that, for that reason. But what happens is this, that the weight on the leaders can continue to grow. All right? With Moses, the weight of his leadership continued to grow as he stood there longer and longer holding it up. And he needed someone to help carry that load. There's another story which is actually in the next chapter of Exodus which talks about Jethro, Moses' father-in-law coming and looking at what was happening. And what was happening was Moses was judging the people. And what would happen was all day they would line up and they'd come to Moses and he'd fix their problems for them. Jethro looked at this and said, Moses, you're an idiot, basically. He said, what's happening now is you're wearing yourself out but the other thing is you're wearing the people out. By doing everything yourself, not only are you wearing out yourself, but you're also wearing out the people. Why? Because they're waiting all day for something to happen. And so he said, why don't you delegate some authority? Put some people over this and some people over that. The small matters, they can talk to them. The bigger matters come to you, Moses. The things that you need to worry about. There are a million things that in a church or in your workplace even that, that you can look at and if only you just did it. Like, over time, do people come to you and say, hey, Neil, the bins are full. Okay, empty them. Do you know what I mean? There's things that people notice, little things that are easily solvable by just doing it rather than placing the weight on a leader. Now, some of the things are very important, don't get me wrong, but... When people come to a leader, let, let's do it like this. Um, I don't know. Can I pick on worship ministry, Matt, or should I pick, should pick on myself? Pick on myself. <laughs> I guess we can use that example in Acts. Hey, Neil, we need a ministry to feed people. Okay. Can you do that? Yep, sure. Uh, Neil, you know what we should have? We should have a weekly Bible study that you should do. Neil, we need a weekly prayer meeting. Neil, we need a coffee in the morning. Neil, can you do this? Can you do that? Now, I don't feel overwhelmed like that. There are beautiful people helping here. But I want you to get the picture of this, is that so often people come to leaders with this opinion. Maybe it's Sunday school. We should be doing this for the kids, which they really mean you should be doing this for the kids. It's a good idea that I want, and you need to do it for me so that I'm happy. What's the good idea that you've got that we should be doing? The church should be doing, well, wait a minute, didn't we just establish that you're the church? Yeah, but the church should be doing this. The government should be doing that. There are a whole lot of things that are not the responsibility of leadership that you can take on. 
That honestly, sometimes God even lays on your heart. You should be doing that. And you're like, oh yeah, I should be doing that. Let me give it to you. Can I just shirk this responsibility? Now put it on you. You need to do that. And so often a leader doesn't hear these words. Hey, uh, Neil, I noticed that this is a bit lacking. Do you mind if I help? Can I help you? Can I take some of that load? Why? Well, we see in the picture in Acts that the, the, the apostles are like, man, we're being drawn so many ways. We've got a, a church to think about. This is the birth of the church in Acts and, and we need to get the word of God out there. We need time to study the word of God. We need time to pray. We need time to get the direction, the vision, the, the mission for the, for the season ahead for the church. And, and yet everyone wants me to do all these other things. And it can be in your workplace. It can be in your class at school. How often have you uttered those words? Hey, what can I do to help? But genuinely mean it. Not like, what can I do to help that I want to do? And if you give me something I don't want to do, then I won't do it anyway. Can you see how the burden can get lifted off leaders in different areas? I'm not saying that they should do nothing. Like, Please remember ditches. Leaders have a great responsibility for people. Of course they do. But in my heart, I would want my youth leaders to have time to prepare for youth, to be praying about it, for getting the word of God for those kids because they've got a spiritual input they have to do on a Friday night so they might need someone to come and pack all the chairs out. Or to make a meal, which they have, they have people that make meals for them on a Friday, or whatever it might be. But there's a whole lot of things that actually lift the weight off leadership because it's important. Why? We're not in it for ourselves. We want the church to grow, and if we can release the leaders to lead and grow their ministries, they'll think about that and have that on their heart, and they'll be praying and getting into the Word of God and finding out what God wants for that season. That's powerful, right? Rather than it being, why aren't you doing this? Hey, I've noticed there's a gap, can I help? Who's the church? We're the church. I'm not the church. The committee's not the church. The elders aren't the church. The youth leaders, the kids' leaders aren't the church. We're all just one part of the body. And why am I talking like this? Because I know there's an opportunity next week for you to just pray and I'll be sending out an email during the week to anyone who's on that newsletter list saying, what would you like to do? Read through the list. Maybe there is nothing, I don't know. But maybe there's little things in there that are just like one minute jobs a week that you can just come and help the whole body so that those that are assigned other tasks don't have to think about that, but it's just done. Maybe there's a ministry area that you're called to and for those of you who are between their 20s and 30s in particular, in their 20s and 30s in particular, I want to ask you this. Are you hungry for a call of God on your life? I was thinking about that. I remember John Cullen, one of my, my friends, came to um, our house a while ago and stayed at He's with Compassion. 
I started the AMG Church in Malak many, many years ago, just after the cyclone. And in my heart, I, I know I'd had a call to pastoring from an early age. I've told that story before, about 18, maybe even earlier. Started pastoring at the age of 40. I don't know how old I was when he first saw me. And we were sitting in the lounge room at my house. And he goes, Neil, what would you like to do with your life? And I said, you know what, John, I actually really feel a call to pastoring. I would love to be a pastor. I feel like that's what God wants. And he said to me, no one says that anymore. No one. He said, it is so exciting that someone would actually think that they want to do something for God in that area. Now, I'm not talking about pastoring for my own sake, but I felt that call of God and that's what I wanted to do. And he said, people just don't think about working for God anymore. Their heart's not stirred for the things of the Spirit. Are there some young people here today that are like burning in their heart, I actually want to run a church, not for your own sake, but because you have this desire to see God's church grow. Is there some people here today that are saying, I just want to be a missionary. I want to work for God overseas or or amongst a, a people group of Darwin, whatever it might be, is there someone here that's saying, oh, I just want to see the youth of Darwin fired up and living for Jesus? Use me, God. Is there someone who's like, you know, the kids of this church, I just want to see them grow in faith. I want to see them loving God, serving him and having a desire to serve him with all their life. Is that heart burning in you or is this your heart? Oh, I've got to get to church today got to do my diligence my duty i would hope that none of us are like that but we can also be in that lukewarm state that we talked about earlier on in the year where it's like we just come and we do our bit we walk in and out we sort of love god but there's no fire for him there's no fire for him and all we want to do is complain about what people don't do that they should be doing rather than actually saying, God, here's the blank check. Every year, at the start of the year, God, what do you want me to do this year? I'm laying everything down. I don't care. I'm laying it down for you, Jesus, today. I want to make my life count for you. Can you help me not get in the way of you? Can you help me Serve you better, Jesus, by serving those in the church. It's a pretty confronting message, I understand. But the people of God are called by name into his family. And we have to understand that we are not individuals. We are part of this body. Just as the Israelites were called out of Egypt together as a nation... They had to work together in order to get to the promised land. The sad thing, a lot of them died on the way because they were disobedient to God and and in fact the Bible calls them murmurers, grumblers and complainers. They said none of those people got to see the promise. Let's not be that church. Let's not be that church. A church of murmurers, 
grumblers and complainers that miss out on what God has for this church, this city, this nation. Let's pray. Father God, I just want to thank you for your goodness. Lord, it is only through you that we have freedom and Lord, help us not to waste that. Help us not to get in the way of your work, but Lord, to live for you in every part of our life. This morning, I just want to pray a stirring in our hearts, Lord, of, of that idea that we are one, that we have to work together for your kingdom. Lord, let it rise within us, I pray, in the name of Jesus Christ. There's one other thing I'd like to offer, if you'd like. It's an invitation. It's felt like to offer this for people in their 20s, maybe you're not quite 20 yet, but 20 to 30. You can come if you're older than that too. But in particular, that if you are wanting to know what God wants you to do, that you have a desire to hear from him, that you come up this morning for prayer at the front, okay? What we're going to pray is that God will just reveal his will to you, that you would have a fire in your heart to serve him, wherever that might be, and perhaps if he's calling you to a ministry area, that that would start to become clear to you so that God can begin to prepare you for the work ahead. All right? So if that's you between 20 and 30, you can come if you're older. That's not a problem to me. God can use people like me and older people too. But in particular, it's just this desire for young people to serve God. I just want to hopefully stoke that this morning. Uh, through prayer with them okay so don't be shy come up the front and we'll pray for you we'll get some people to pray or i'll pray